This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. But tonight we have a very special individual. Um, This is Mr. Matt Bird. He is one of the leaders who works with the men in APOR, a place of restoration at our church, um, helping them through uh, drug addiction and into freedom through Christ. Um, the ministry that he's a part of is, is truly wonderful, and he's a wonderful guy, too. I ask that you would give him your, your full attention. Love you guys. Okay, it is good to be here tonight. Uh, those are some awesome songs. The cross has the final word. And the old has been made new. We're going to get into that tonight. Just grateful for the opportunity. Thank you for your kind words. I appreciate that. Um, I got to tell y'all, I have the opportunity every week uh, to teach in front of a class to men ages 20 to 60-something. I have daily opportunity to be in ministry with them and teach them and and one-on-one opportunities. And I get pretty comfortable with that. Standing in front of y'all is a little more intimidating, surprisingly. Um, And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm thankful for the opportunity. I'm thankful that Dom trusted me with this. Um, Thankful uh, to be able to step out of my comfort zone a little bit uh, and teach some people that I don't know very well uh, and hopefully bring you a message that the Lord wants me to bring you. Um, That said, I want to tell you all a little story. So every morning at 4.55 in the morning... I go down, and I meet Dom and Jeremy. Y'all know Jeremy Smith? Yeah, I meet Jeremy down for a a workout in the mornings. And I walk down there, and the same thing, pretty much the same thing happens every day. I go down there. Dom's in there bouncing around already, excited, full of joy, full of encouragement. And uh, Jeremy's putting the music on, drinking his coffee. It's always Christian rap. And uh, I am down there trying to work through my thoughts of disappointment that they, did, that they showed up. Because I keep hoping that one day I'm going to show up and they're not going to show and I can go home and go back to bed. It never seems to happen, though. So these workouts, though, they're grueling. They're always tough. Jeremy is uh, relentless in how he plans these and how he pushes me and Dom, and we need it. And so we do this thing called imams. You all know what imams are? Okay, imams are every minute on the minute, okay? So you do a certain particular exercise every minute on the minute, okay? So sometimes it's pull-ups or chin-ups, and you want to get a certain number in. And this other day, um, I think it was last Friday, we did push-ups. So good with that. I like that. So we decided we're going to do 600 push-ups in our 45-minute workout. And so I'm all like, we can't do this. And Dom's like, we got that. We can do this. And I'm like, all right, we'll see. So we start out, and we start out at 25 every minute on the minute. And you can do 25 and take a break for 30 seconds and do 25 again, but it starts to wear on you. You drop to 20, you drop to 15, and eventually you're down to 10 or 12. So we did. All three of us got there, okay? I'm not going to tell you our numbers, but someone got to 711. Someone got to 680-something, and someone got to 612 and a half. And that person was not me. I didn't count that half, but he's counting it, so we'll leave it there. So... Um, it was good, though. And my point in saying that is these workouts are grueling. They're tough. And the, the key component in that is Jeremy Smith. He pushes us. 
So two weeks ago, Jeremy's out sick, and it's me and Dom. We decide we're going to meet and work out, and we're going to push each other, and that's the plan. So we get up, we get down there every morning, and we fail miserably at pushing each other. It does not go well. Uh, what ends up happening is we skip the workout completely, and it becomes just a spiritual exercise, which isn't bad at all. We get a spiritual pump instead of a physical pump, right? Um, good things are happening. We're solving theological issues that have plagued the church for years, and we're walking out of there confident we've done that. And so uh, it was good. And I say all that to say this. Y'all are so fortunate. I am so fortunate to have Dom as a friend, to have Dom as a minister, right? His passion for the word shows in that. It shows up at 4.55 in the morning, right? Um, that's what he wants to do. He wants to, to fill up on this so he can pour out on you guys. And so he takes this night very seriously, and um, I do too. And so we're going to get into it tonight. Uh, we're going to start in Colossians, continue our series through that. So y'all go ahead and open with me. We're going to get to the text in a minute to Colossians 3. Okay. So here's where we're at. We've died with Christ, right? We've been raised with Christ. Uh, that's where Paul has us in the first four verses of Colossians 3. I need to turn there too. Okay, so that's where, that's where we left off. So what's happened here is the day of our conversions already happened, right? Uh, we've been fundamentally changed. The old person, Matt Bird, doesn't exist anymore, right? He's died, right? We're raised in Christ. That's where we're at. That's where Paul leaves us from last week. But let's just think about that for a second, right? When a death sentence is carried out, what happens? Before the execution is carried out, there's, there's a, a list of wrongs. The crimes that the person being executed committed is listed. It's, it's read aloud, right? And we see that today. We see it in our court system today. We see it before executions. And it used to happen in ancient times, too. Plaques were placed above the deceased's head to say what they had done, right? This was done for two reasons. The first reason is to let the public know that justice would be carried out. Right? We're going to follow through on our promise to carry out justice. Okay. The second one was a warning, and it was to say, if you did this, if you did this crime, this will happen to you too, right? It was control, right? Does that sound familiar to y'all? Where have we seen that before? Y'all can answer me too. Where have we seen that before? The cross, yeah, we see, we see it with Pilate, right? Pilate had one placed over Jesus' head, right? And what, what did that say? Do y'all know? It said, John 19 tells us, right? It tells us, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. So look, there, there are two perspectives I want to look at with that. There are two perspectives of what actually was happening there. First of all, there's man's perspective. So look, Jesus died because he was a threat to Pilate, right? Um, he was, there was a following happening. They have, they have Passover, right? And what happens at Passover? Right before Passover, the, they always allow one prisoner to go free, right? And Barnabas was, was the guy he was up against, right? And they chose Barnabas. And so uh, now he's got to follow through with this thing, right? So Jesus, the first perspective and man's perspective of this incident was Jesus was a threat to Pilate. 
The second is Jesus died because the Jews didn't like what he had to say. And we see that all throughout the Gospels, right? We see the Pharisees and Sadducees constantly trying to trap him into saying something he shouldn't say, something heretical, something blasphemous. And eventually, they found what they wanted, right? That's man's perspective of the events. But there's Jesus' perspective, too. See, that plaque above his head was saying something very different. You see, from Jesus' perspective, when the reason he was dying was read aloud, when his wrongs were read aloud, it wasn't because of, of what he had done that he was dying. The reason he died was to, was to what? To clear our own record, to clear our record, not to clear his. So it could be said, obviously, with what we teach here and what we believe, that he was dying so that we wouldn't have to, right? It's important to take into our account tonight looking at Colossians 3. Because when God looks at you, those of us who confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that what? That, that he's been raised from the dead. We believe in his resurrection. That's what Romans tells us, right? For those of us that do that, those of us in this passage here that Paul's talking to, he no longer sees that. He doesn't see the record of wrongs that he died for, right? He doesn't see the judgment that his perfect character has to have on our sin, the wrath that has to be carried out. What does he see instead? Instead, he sees you and me hidden in Christ. We have this, uh, this thing we draw on a board at A-Ports, one of our teachings, and it's just a, usually we'll draw it as just a son, and that's the father, right? And the beams are, are his wrath, right? And there's a man kneeled below the cross, right? And the cross stands in between us, right? The cross has the final word, like the song just said, right? And it absorbs the wrath. And Jesus absorbed the wrath. You see, in, in God's eyes, when Jesus died, what happened? We died, right? And in God's eyes, when Jesus was raised, so were we. We were also raised. Okay. So that, all that's set up for this. So let's, let's go back to our conversion, right? Y'all remember that day? Remember that day? It was a good day, right? Uh, Back to our conversion, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. We just sang about it. On that day, on the day uh, that, that we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that we accept his, his, his death and resurrection as our propitiation, our substitute, as, as, our, as the sacrifice for our sin, the payment for our sin. When we accept all of that, right, what happens? We're fundamentally changed. I said it a moment ago. Look, we walk, we walk, we have this, this big decision-making moment, and we walk out of here, and we may look the same. We're going to talk the same. For a while, we may act the same, right? We're going to sound the same. Nothing's really changed on the outside, but, but there's something bigger that's happened. Think about this for a second. The the old is made new, right? That's what we say. The sinner is now a saint. The enemy of God is now a friend. From darkness to light. The whole thing is, is disorienting, right? It takes a minute to get your bearings and catch up with all that means. So think about it like this, okay? You're in your bed on a Saturday at your house. You've got little sisters and little brothers, I guess, right? Parents, right? Okay, you're in your bed. You're finally getting to sleep in from a long week at school. It's dark in your room. You got the covers pulled up. You're sleeping pretty good. And little brother, little sister, mom and dad comes and flips that light on, right? What happens in that moment? 
there's some confusion, there's, there's some squinting of the eyes, there's some frustration that might get let out, there's some discombobulation, can we say that, discombobulation? Uh, there's some confusion, though. It's dis disorienting. It takes a minute, like I said, to get your bearings straight. You're squinting and confused. And for a minute, it takes, your, it takes a minute just for your eyes to adjust. See, Paul, Paul's had this experience, too, um, both physically and spiritually, kind of at the same time. Uh, it's kind of reversed in this passage, but after a few days, he had to reorient to regain his sight. So y'all flip with me off of our original passage of Colossians, which we're going to read in a minute, I promise, to Acts 9. And we're going to read Acts 9, 1 through... Uh, we're going to read through 9. Acts 9, 1 through 9. So meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way is to Christ, to Jesus. That's what they called it then. I love that. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. What a guy, right? As, near, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. He calls him Lord right there. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. He's discombobulated here. He's, he's disoriented here. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Paul understands where we're at in that moment, that moment of conversion where, where we're being told all these things, the old made new, death to life, darkness to light, all that stuff. He can empathize with us. He, he understands that going from dead to, dead to alive and from blind to seeing is a difficult transition. So there isn't this expectation that... Uh, that we should just handle this well. So we get this text where the Lord says through Paul, look, look, I know, I know the light is new to you, that you're a new creature, a new cre uh, creation, a new creature, trying to find this, find, figure things out. And here's, here's a few pointers for you. So let's go to our text in Colossians. Colossians 3. We're going to focus on 5 through 11, but I just want to start with one, uh, first of all. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. There's that moment we just talked about. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. For you died. What does that mean? And, you know, in the verse before, it says to set your hearts and minds on the things above. Uh, these are the things that we think about. There are, there are, there are expectations, our, our, our goals, the things we set out to do, our desires, right? And what Paul's uh, exhorting us to do is to set our hearts and minds, to, to set those expectations, those goals on something different now, right? 
because we now have an eternal perspective in this moment, right? And so, for you died. Remember, that's that disorienting phrasing. It's, it's confusing. Uh, what that means is, is, what that means is, is you need to have as little desire for worldly pleasure, pleasures, for the things that you were seeking after before, as a dead man does. You need to start aligning with that to crucify those things. So this is where we're at, raised in Christ. This is written to those who are already believers, the Colossian church. Uh, they've already been raised in Christ. So I point this out uh, for, for a couple reasons. Uh, because if we apply the changes that we're going to read in verse 5 through 11, we don't make, I just want to be clear on this. We're not making ourselves more acceptable to God, right? We do them because we're already acceptance. There's this, there's this idea that we teach. It's you work from acceptance, not for acceptance. And so I want to be really clear on that. Uh, we don't do these things to create a new identity. We do, this, we do them because we've been given a new identity already. Okay? So Paul, in these verses, he begins to describe what this identity means for us. This is what life in Christ is going to look like. There's this idea, I'm sure you'll come across it, I know I have in, in my Christian walk, um, that once you're saved, once you've accepted the free gift of salvation, that's it. It stops there. We don't have to go any further. We can go on sinning. We can go on living the life the way that we've lived always. Uh, no change needs to be made. Nothing has to change uh, because the, the price is already paid, right? I'm good. I'm good. But that's, that's not the gospel at all. And I, I, I can do what I want now and ask for forgiveness later. Uh, isn't how this operates. It's, that's greasy. It's, it's greasy grace. And so here's the thing. Paul dismantles that philosophy, that whole idea, in three words. Beginning of verse 5. He says, put to death. So we see this similarly all throughout Paul's epistles. We see it in Ephesians 5 and Romans 6. But Paul's pretty clear here, right? There are some things in our life that though we're already in Christ, we have to put them to death. There's an old English guy uh, from the 1600s, he's a Puritan minister. His name's John Owen. I know Dom's quoted him before. But he has a quote that says, uh, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So look, we don't, we don't miraculously wake up one day uh, completely sanctified, completely perfect. 1 John 1.8 makes this clear. 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let's flip over to Romans 7. We're going to read a couple verses there. I know we're flipping a lot. I want you all to keep up with me if you can. Romans 7. Verse 15 through 17. We're going to start there. Romans 7, 15 through 17. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. A couple verses later, uh, down in mm, 22. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. 
But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul recognizes that sin is alive in him, that though he's a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, that sin still dwells within him, right? He also understands now, he talks about a war, he talks about a choice, that he has a choice now and he has power through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit to overcome that sin. We're not slaves to it anymore. Paul makes this clear. Uh, Will it be painful to remove these things? Absolutely. Will you at times feel exposed? Yes. But it's worth it to look at the sin in your life and to put it to death. Let me show it to you like this. So, have any of you ever moved before? It's grueling, right? It's taxing. It's stressful. Uh, you have to pick up your whole life, pack it into boxes, get a truck, arrange all those logistics, pack it in the truck, drive it to the new house, unpack it, unload it, unpack the boxes, arrange everything how you want to arrange it. It's a big ordeal. And look, when you finally get all that done, when you finally get settled in, what happens? There's, there's this sense of relief, right? It's... That's done, it's almost a joy, right? Imagine this, so imagine if someone gave you the keys to a brand new house, let me hear you talk. What's, what's your dream home? Somebody tell me what your dream home is. Come on. All right, cabin in the mountains, I like it. What else? Cabin in the mountains, okay. Like a, a tin? A 10-acre ranch, is that big? Is 10 acres big? I guess so, right? Bigger than that? Okay. 50? 50 50-acre ranch. Okay, that's his dream. I like it. What you got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a nice, really nice condo or townhouse. In the suburbs? I hear you. I hear you. Okay, so think of your dream home, a, a beach house, whatever it is. And someone hands you the keys to it, right? You have, it's free, it's yours. All you have to do is go through that process. All you got to do is pack up all your stuff at your house, drive it to the new location and get to the house. And so you do that. You get it over to the house, you unload the truck, you're in this one room in the house, and you're thinking, it's a lot of work. <laughs> That's a lot of work. I think, I think I'm done. I think I'm just going to, I'm not going to take full benefit of the house, and I'm just going to, uh, I'm just, going to take, I'm just going to sit in this one room. People would think you're nuts. They'd think you're crazy, right? doesn't make any sense. Because why? The work is worth the result, right? We need to look at sin in the same way. We need to view it as a hindrance to living fully and what God has called us to do. The ministry he's given us, the relationships he's given us, uh, the, the the sonship he's given us, all the, the, the daughtership, is daughtership a word, that he's given us, right? We can, we can live fully in that. And when we see that sin in our life that makes us, uh, we're accepted already, but it still separates us, right? When we see that, we should be desperate when God points it out, when he brings that conviction up in us, to run and to go, go put that thing to death. I'm done with that sin. That should be our desire, Point two, for those of us who are in Christ, 
where we find our satisfaction in life begins to change as we begin to follow through with these things, as we begin to put sin to death. Back to Colossians 3 with me. I think we'll only flip a couple more times. Colossians 3. Here we are finally in our text. Okay. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. We'll stop there at seven. Here's what I want to point out here. Uh, the list that Paul gives here, it's not exhaustive. It's not comprehensive. Um, but there is a common theme in all of them. They're all about self. They're all about pleasure. They're all about happiness. They're all about instant gratification. Every one of them. They're geared toward pleasure and happiness. Paul applies these on a more personal level over in Philippians 3. I'll flip there. Philippians 3. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. This is greed. This is idolatry in Paul's life. Early on, this is, this, is, uh, this is Saul's life at this point. Um, these things bought him power and influence. They, uh, they gave him money. They gave him, he had open doors wherever he went. Th these list of qualifications that he gives. And you can see that he took pride in them at the time. They were idols in his life. And that's what the last part of verse 7 says, idolatry. But something switches. There's a, there's a switch from, from giving those qualifications to verse 7 where it says, but whatever gains to me, his, his ambition was idolatry there. Whatever gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. You see that flip there? You saw it happen? He counts those things, things that he took the most pride in as loss compared to what he's found in Christ. Paul found in his life that all those things never, ceased, never seemed to satisfy. They never filled him up. Always wanted more. What he found is fulfillment in Christ, and so he chooses to follow his own advice later on and to put those things to death. The things that had top spot in his heart things that he had elevated that were, idol that were idols in his life, he chose to put those to death. They have no place anymore in, in, a, in a, fulfilling, a fulfilling Jesus. We see a similar revelation by King Solomon over in Ecclesiastes. We're not going to flip there. Uh, but Solomon had it all, it seemed, right? Wisdom, power, money, sex, influence, whatever he wanted. In the beginning of Ecclesiastes, you see him go through a lot of these, a lot of these worldly pleasures. And he says one thing about all of them. They're meaningless. Every one of them. 
He concludes Ecclesiastes with this. He says in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion on the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. So Solomon has the same revelation as Paul. It's put those worldly pleasures to death because they only keep me from the all-fulfilling relationship with God. So he like, he, like Paul, is willing to, put, to be quick, to run to do this, to be quick to put them to death. Back to Colossians. Moving on to our last point here. In a second. Colossians 3, I'm going to read 5 again. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. See, the wisdom of the world says if I only had more, if I only had more money, if I only had more power, if I only had that house, if I only had that car, if I only had that relationship, if I only had more freedom from my parents' authority, if I only had that scholarship, if I, if I only had one more thing, I'd be fulfilled. This would, that would be good enough for me. If I only had one more thing. Paul and Solomon both conclude that we'll never be filled with those things, so put them to death. next part of that, that chapter in 5, we just read the, that list again. But verse 6 says, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Coming, You used to walk in, this, in these ways in the life you once lived. I want you all to see there, in 6, there's a warning. There's a penalty for not putting these to death. Look, for many of us, many of us in here tonight, we're in Christ already. And so that... That doesn't mean we're excused from penalty. It means that we'll, we'll experience penalty, we'll experience consequence on this side of eternity in the flesh. There will be penalties for our sin. And we can look at that list and we can come up with a dozen or more consequences for each of those sins probably. We can come up with a bunch of them, right? It's easy to see that. We can't, sorry, go on. And I don't want to just blow by that. I want to, I want us to be aware of that, but, but before we move on in the text, I want, to, I want you all to see that culturally here in Homa and Schriever, Thibodeau, uh, it's probably more unusual not to identify as a Christian. Many of us here grew up in church and know what it looks like to walk like Jesus, right? We have, we have a concept of what it looks like. We can make it look right. But I want to offer this. Um, we aren't willing to put those things to death as the Lord convicts us of them. If we aren't willing, if we aren't doing what verse 7 says, that if it's not a thing of our past, it, that verse 7 says we used to walk in them. If we currently walk in them, are we really what verse 4 tells us earlier? Hidden in Christ. Y'all remember that verse? Sorry, verse 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Tough question, right? It's tough if we really want to take a look at it, but, but if we overlook it, the penalty is much more than, than some consequence here on this side of eternity. Um, it's an eternal consequence instead. Okay. Y'all with me? Okay. This is it. Moving, moving right along here. Point three. Our relationship with others need to change. Colossians 3, 8 
But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. All of this list has to do with our relationships and how we communicate in them. How are we treating others? Are, are we blowing up on them? Are we yelling at others? Are, are we making them feel less than? Are we ignoring them? Do we hate them? Do we curse them? Do we gossip? Do we tear each other down behind our backs? It's a dangerous one. It causes division. Paul's clear about what we need to do in this list. He says we need to rid ourselves of them. James 2.26 tells us those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Worthless. It's quite a warning about how God sees the list he gave Paul. Paul tells us in strong words that we must rid ourselves of these and then continues in the second part of verse 9. We must rid ourselves of those things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language and lies, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in, in knowledge and the image of its creator. What does all that mean? You must. We must. We must rid ourselves. And why? Since. Because. It's a, it's a cause and effect thing. We do away with these as an effect of taking off the old and putting on the new. It's personal responsibility. It's a, it's a result of being raised in Christ. We touched on 2 Corinthians 5.17 earlier. Y'all remember that? It says, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. So that taking off of the old and that putting on of the new, it happened already. It's not continuing to happen. What's happening in verse 10 is, verse 10 tells us, and I put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. This is ongoing. The renewal of the new is ongoing. Uh, it's ongoing as we put to death and rid ourselves of what Paul is telling us and as we grow in our knowledge of who our Savior is. Here's the last thing, okay? Promise, last thing. We're going to read verse 11. Y'all ready? Here, here. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Here. What does that mean? It's back in verse 4 again, or back in verse 3. I think I have my notes wrong on that. But here, hidden in Christ, is where he's talking about. So he's talking to the body of Christ again. Look, some of that language you hear a lot, we hear Gentile, Jew, we're familiar with that. Circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free. But who the heck are the barbarians and the Scythians? Why are they just dropped in here with us, here hidden with Christ? Why are they just dropped in there? So look, the barbarians would have been anyone in the region who didn't speak Greek. They were uneducated, uh, looked down upon them. They would have rubbed elbows with those in Colossae. Um, they would have been familiar with them. And the people that Paul is writing here, the Colossians, would have scoffed at this. They would have been offended by it. They would have rolled their eyes at their inclusion. But worse than that, worse than the barbarians were the Scythians. They were this nomadic group in that region. Uh, that regarded, they were regarded less than the barbarians were. 
And so Paul's readers, in, in reading this, would have, they would have bristled at this. Right? They, would not have, they would not have liked what they were reading. Here's Paul's intent, though. His intent is to convey that here, hidden in Christ, there are no levels and no ranks. We're all equal, right? So how does that apply today? You know, we don't have any prejudice towards Scythians or barbarians, I don't think, right? But we do have divisions in our current culture. Even in your high schools, right? There's athlete and straight-A student. There's cheerleader. There are people, more, more significant uh, groups that we probably care about, like like uh, people of lower income classes or people of different skin colors, different backgrounds, right? Who's your rival? There's, there's, there's covenant Christian and homo Christian, right? We got some divisions. We got some division and an inclination to look at others differently, to take up some pride in some areas. I just want to close with this. It's clear here. We all come to Christ in the same predicament, broken and needy, and in that right perspective, in Christ, we're all the same. We're all dead in our sin, and we're made alive in Christ. Thank you all so much for listening to me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.